0: Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pell Entry System and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com.
1: Restrictions apply. See showroom for details.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And
1: now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. All right, our initial story today, I've got a link to it. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 uh, an analysis that appears on today's TMJ4 that says a lot about where we are when it comes to crime and raises these questions about why are we putting up with this. But first, I, I want to share... I want to share a text message I got this morning from an an old friend of mine. Uh, my my buddy Tom, he and my late wife were partners, worked together for years and years. He lives in a very nice neighborhood. He lives in Whitefish Bay, kind of right by the lake, and he has a wonderful wife, four kids, ranging in age from, I don't know, I mean, maybe like 16 to like 10 or so, like that. So here here's the story I got, and this is what he texts me. Jeff. This, In relation to your your topics on stolen cars, our car was stolen from our driveway a couple weeks ago. You will remember this happened to us about three years ago, and that car was totaled after a high-speed chase. I think those kids got a slap on the wrist. Anyway, we have been so careful over the last three years, but unfortunately, we left a key in a coat in the car, and they took it at 3 a.m., The neighbor's video caught it happening. They looked a little older this time, and one had a gun. Anyway, we didn't realize the car was gone until the morning. The Whitefish Bay police were awesome. They had us call Honda, and they tracked the location to 43rd Street. The police went and recovered it, missing plates, and slightly damaged in front, where the thieves thought they were disabling the tracking stuff. They didn't, but otherwise, okay. The neighbor's video showed the thieves checking out their cars and our cars, and we heard of another family in Whitefish Bay who recently had two cars taken from their driveway in the same night. So, in other words, this is this is going on all over. And for people, when, when we talk about the this, the stupid high numbers of car thefts that are out there, you know, we, we focus on the numbers of cars that are being stolen in the city of Milwaukee because that that's where the numbers are, are reported. But this is not a problem that is unique to the city of Milwaukee. What you have is thieves largely from the city of Milwaukee who are spreading out like an ink stain throughout the surrounding area and and stealing stuff. And if if you think it's only confined to, I don't know, economically disadvantaged neighborhoods or things like that, no. Because this is, I mean, these are people going through a very, very tony area of Whitefish Bay, 3 o'clock in the morning, and apparently going driveway to driveway to driveway Way while they're armed trying to you know see if that they can find a situation like unfortunately like my friend here where they left the car in the uh, coat in the car with a key so they were able to take it so this this is a problem that is happening all over the area which brings me to the story that admittedly got my blood pressure going this morning the uh the, the, TMJ Channel 4, did a very, very interesting thing. They went and they they actually looked at the numbers of, of people who were actually prosecuted as a result of, of car thefts. Now, last year, in the city of Milwaukee alone, you had somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,500 cars that were stolen. Right? That, that's just the city of Milwaukee alone. Would you like to guess... Of those 10,500 cars were stolen, would you like to guess the percentage of those car thefts that resulted in an arrest? You know, okay, in other words, how, how did the cops clear, you know, they call it clearing the cases. You know, you catch the person that's responsible. And it starts off with having to arrest the person that, that's responsible. So you've got 10,500 car thefts in the city of Milwaukee alone what would you think would be a a reasonable number of arrests? I don't know, 80%, 70%, maybe 50%. Well, okay, whatever your numbers would be, I hope you're sitting down for this, or if you're driving the car, your car that hasn't been stolen yet, that you you pull over to the side of the road. Because here's the number. According to today's TMJ4, of all the cars, that whole number of cars that were stolen in the city of Milwaukee, only 11% resulted in arrest. So if you steal a car in the city of Milwaukee, your odds of being arrested are about 1 in 10. Let's put it another way. There is about a 90% chance that you are not going to be caught. A 90% chance. 9 out of 10 car thefts, result in no arrests being made all right if it's possible it gets worse all right so so somebody is arrested Well, that's only the start of the process. After after being arrested, it then goes over to the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office where there has to be a prosecution that is undertaken. And a lot of times, of course, we know the DA's office wants nothing to do with car theft cases. It's not a priority. They don't care about it. So here's the statistics. Again, according to today's TMJ4, the data shows that of those 10,500 cars that were stolen, only about 10%, 11% to be exact, of the people responsible for those car thefts were were arrested. Your odds of being prosecuted? 5%. 5% of the car thieves end up getting prosecuted. In other words, you steal a car, your chances are about 1 in 10 that you will be arrested. Your odds of being prosecuted are about 1 in 20, 1 in 20, let me say that again, 1 in 20 is your chance that you are going to be prosecuted. So in other words, there's, there's no accountability you know, at all. The DA's office said arrests don't always lead to charges because of the burden of proof needed to convict. Oftentimes the evidence provided isn't substantial enough to build a case. So in other words, we have authorities who are pretty much just throwing up their hands and saying, Okay, nothing we can do about this. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the ACUNET Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, this is completely and totally unacceptable. And, and the reason I started off by telling you about my friend's story in Whitefish Bay, that this is not a problem that is unique to the, the city of Milwaukee, if you think that's the case. Because again, like I say, car theft is spreading like a stain all over southeastern Wisconsin. And you understand why this is happening. One in ten chance of being arrested 1 in 20 chance of being prosecuted, and then of course once once it's prosecuted, even if it gets prosecuted, who knows what the disposition is going to be. Probation, double secret probation, don't do it again, deferring any sort of time. We have absolutely, totally, completely lost control of the system. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I think needs to happen. This needs to be made a priority. Now I understand you You've got other priorities. You've got the homicide rate that's going through the roof. This is not a victimless crime. The punks, the thugs, the criminals think they can get away with this. And you know what? They can, and they have been getting away with it. I think there needs to be a car theft task force, which is staffed which makes this a priority to track down the people that are stealing cars. I think there needs to be a prosecutive uh, task force to at least, is it too much to ask that maybe instead of one out of 20, maybe, I don't know, one out of every five people that steal a car ends up getting prosecuted? We have thrown up our hands and essentially turned literally the keys to people's cars over to the bad guys 855-616-1620 we discuss in just a minute this is Jeff Wagner back to take your calls here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner 855-616-1620. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Here's a text that might nail it. Jeff, do you think arrests are low priority because prosecutions are unlikely to lead to consequences, so police are allocating limited resources to other crimes instead? If so, the problem is the DA's office and court congestion. Well, I, I think there is a huge problem in the DA's office. I think there's also a huge problem in the courts that um, motor vehicle theft whether it's by juveniles or adults, unless it involves carjacking, sometimes, or unless it involves fleeing from an officer where you hit and kill somebody, it is viewed as a low priority. So, I mean, I'm sure there is an element of that. My point is, it shouldn't be a low priority. This is a big deal. And clearly, the criminals are, it's lord of the flies out there on the mean streets of Milwaukee. It's lord of the flies. We are doing nothing to restrain this. And you just look at these numbers. Somebody was saying, is its is it 5% of the 10%? No, my understanding is the way it works is out of all the cars that are stolen – only about 10% of the cases are, are, they only arrest in about 10% of the cases, and they only prosecute in about 5% of, of overall all the cases. So it, it's there's almost no accountability. You steal a car on the streets of Milwaukee, and the truth of the matter is, if you end up getting prosecuted, you are one of the most unlucky you-know-what's-around, because everybody else that's stealing cars, they just look the other way. How much more of this are we going to put up with? Carrie in Illinois. Carrie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon
2: hello hi Carrie hi how are you
1: good what do you think about this
2: well you know it's 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 interesting I, I, I live pretty far from Milwaukee I live in a little town just outside of Rockford but our our car thefts have skyrocketed here as well. It's a bad problem. I believe it's a bad problem across the country. And I think that what we have is we have a, of course, we have a criminal element who's always one step ahead of the police officers, and legislation and law is always one step behind the police officers. So you've got the criminals, you've got the police officers, and then you've got laws and legislation. And, you know, and then we're talking about, you know, defunding the police, and and how do you do that? And how do you justify that when you have issues like this? Car theft is a huge issue, and it impacts people on a...
3: Oops, am
1: sorry.
2: Oh. If that's your only source of getting back and forth to work, and so...
1: Yep, I'm and sorry, you to so, fight
2: the insurance company.
1: Yeah, Carrie, I got to let you go because your cell phone was dropping in and out. But but yeah, I mean, well, here here's here's one of my texts, Jeff. I can vouch for those dismal odds of Carthy's being caught or prosecuted because I know three people who all had their vehicles stolen at a funeral. Remember, there was that story not that long ago. No one was caught despite cameras recording the thefts. It, it is and look, I, I don't. I don't really intend this as, as an indictment of the police. I do intend it as an indictment of the DA's office that for the years and years has just said, well, it, it's a victimless crime, you know, who, who cares about this and unless, unless there is a gun involved in stealing the car, you know, we, we don't care, or unless you drive it recklessly and you hit and kill somebody. It, it's just a car. It's covered by insurance. That is an insulting approach to take. People who are victimized by car theft are, they're, they are violated in so many different ways. And, and yeah, maybe you've got insurance and maybe 60, 90, 120 days later, you know, maybe you can get the car replaced or something like that. Good luck trying that right now with the shortage we have of vehicles. And if you're inconvenienced trying to figure out how you're going to go to work or get your kids to school, well, it's no big deal. Well, when it's time to take back the streets. You know, and, and this is, it's we have ignored this. We are not having these conversations. We're too concerned with, well, gee, you know, we've got all these juveniles that are stealing cars, and, and, and we don't want to come down too hard on the little darlings because we might wreck their, 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 their future life. No, you decide to steal somebody's car. You walk through neighborhoods, and I don't care what neighborhood, what you're in, in Milwaukee County or wherever, you know, you're going armed, driveway to driveway, hoping to find some car that you can get into, and then drive it off, you belong, you need consequences, period. You need to be taken off the street. Yesterday or two days ago, I was talking about you know, boot camps for juveniles. Yes, I'm all in favor of that. Yes, I'm in favor of putting people who steal cars in jail. Let's have some consequences. Let's have some severity. Where is the district attorney? Again, hiding uh, in his office, refusing to come out and confront these different issues. And, and yeah, if the idea is you need more resources, okay, John Chisholm, you come out, you say, look, here's the deal. I, I want to create a stolen car task force. I want to task 10 assistant district attorneys to do this this. I promise that when we catch people, we will prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law, and we will request prison time. We will try to waive the punks into adult court if they are juveniles. You come out and say that, and I tell you what, I will lead the charge in trying to get some more money for dedicated prosecutors to do that in Milwaukee County from the state legislature. But, you know, unless you're going to make a commitment that you're going to get tough on this, it doesn't make any sense to end up doing this. Um, 855-616-1620 Jeff, are car insurance rates in Milwaukee going up? Of course they're going up. I I mean, and and it's not just the car insurance rates. I, I will I, I understand that some people think that, oh, Jeff, all you're doing is running down Milwaukee. That's why I'm saying part of the problem is, again, I've got a friend of mine who, and, and can he afford to replace the car yet? Yeah, but that's not the point. But the point is it doesn't matter where you live, whether it's the city of Milwaukee or a very nice area in Whitefish Bay, it, you are not safe. The car thieves are not deterred. The car thieves don't care. They're going armed. They're going roving through communities. They're trying to take advantage of somebody who makes an error and leaves the keys in the car. And Yeah, you shouldn't do that. There's no question about it. But that doesn't change the underlying fact that you have these emboldened criminals. Let's stop this. Let's make the commitment. And again, if the police chief, Jeff Norman, if he wants to come out and say, you know what, I I need 30 more officers, I agree that this is a huge quality of life problem, I am sick as you know what of this going on, and yeah, I want to create this car task force as well to vigorously go after the punks that are doing this, to get them off the street, yeah, okay, Uh, make that commitment we're going to put X number of officers that are on this, we're going to flood the streets, we're going to do these saturation patrols, and you do it in connection with the DA's office, I will be the first person who will use the bully pulpit I have to pressure the legislature to, uh, again, create these sort of positions to stop this epidemic. But enough is enough. This affects quality of life. 25, 26 cars stolen a day on the city of Milwaukee. That's not including what happens in the suburbs. So you drive downtown you park your car if you're going to park it on the street. I guess it's one thing if it's in a secured lot or something. But you want to park, you want to come from the suburbs and drive and park your car on the street to go to a restaurant. Well, okay, that, that's fine. I, I love doing that too, but look at what are the chances are that when you come out you're going to find your car is still there and is it worth it this is a major quality of life thing we have turned the streets over to the criminals we have turned the streets over to the punks it affects livability and nobody appears to be outraged about it at least nobody in the court system none of the chattering class of politicians who apparently you know don't want to well we don't want to offend certain people and if we start locking up people it might might be that we're locking up too many of this type of person or that type of person, and, oh, we we might get some of the politically correct folks upset. Well, no. What about the law-abiding folks who park their car on the street or out in the outdoor, don't have a garage that they can lock. They park their car outside on the street or whatever. They expect that when they get up and get ready to go to work to make a living to support their family and pay their taxes, they expect that their car is going to be there, and then it's gone. And it's been happening over and over again. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And now we find out these numbers that are out there that nobody is being held accountable. And like I say, this, this 5% number, only 5% of all the car thefts actually prosecuted. So, you know, again, your chances of are 1 in 20 of not getting prosecuted. And we're not even talking about disposition. We're not even talking about what happens to that relative handful of people who are prosecuted it's time to stop the insanity it's time to take the streets back and if this is this is a, i'm not saying it's easy and i acknowledge that it might be a little bit painful along the way and yes you've got to spend some money but we have dug ourselves this criminal hole for a number of years it's going to take a little while to dig out of it but if not now when this is jeff wagner wtmj jeff wagner
0: on wtmj
1: We are absolutely being swamped by texts, by people who've had enough is enough. Why is it that the politicians, why is it that the district attorney hides behind these terrible numbers? Why is it that the court system refuses to hold people accountable? Why do we have to be victims of the criminals and punks that are out there? Here's a text. Jeff, give them hell. My 2019 Sonata was stolen, and it was totaled. You don't understand what it did to me and my family. It's been an absolute and total night. Mayor, well, yeah, that that's that's it, um, Jeff. You can buy a new vehicle, and once you drive it off the lot, the value of the car drops. If it gets stolen, the insurance won't pay the full amount that you paid. Well, well, yeah, it's and, and you've got deductibles and, and all this. Look, it's just it's a nightmare. It's a violation, and the fact that we have let it get this bad is just so incredibly aggravating. And nobody other than the victim seem to care about this.
4: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Somebody just said you're worked up. Yes, I, I am. I, I mean, look, I I grew up in this community. I I, I did. I I. I... You know, live in this area because I choose to live in the area. And it breaks my heart as to what's been allowed to go on and away the, and how the, the criminal element has been allowed to just roam the streets with no sort of accountability at all and no acknowledgement I, I, that, okay, gee, we're, we're a double the right number of homicides that we had last year. And I understand that that's a priority. The clearance rate of those homicides, it used to be Milwaukee police cleared about 80% of the homicides, not even close now. But it's not necessarily a reflection of the inability of the police. It's just that there's so many people being murdered, they cannot keep up with it. We really are becoming like escape from New York. And you almost want to say, do you just need to put a fence around a certain area and, and just invite anybody who is a law-abiding citizen who's not going to be out there stealing stuff, give them a chance to, to get out. And it breaks my heart that you are at this point, but that is precisely what, what is happening. Yeah, let's bring the Republican National Convention to Milwaukee, I think that that would be great. But let's—I mean, along with you know your credentials to cut, get into the convention, we're also going to give you the club so you can stop your car from being stolen. That—that that would be the visitors bureau. Hey, let's let's call the visitors bureau. That's it. Hey, come to Milwaukee, and, and don't worry. We know that the cars are being stolen at a record rate. But but here's the deal. You know, you can put the club on, and yeah, may, maybe they'll, they'll kick in the window, but maybe it'll make it a little bit more difficult to steal the cars. I mean, boy, that's a great civic. Thing. There, there's just no question about it. Jeff, everybody's fed up with it. I don't know about that. The texter says, why do they keep electing politicians who do nothing? I've been saying it for years. Hold people committing the crimes responsible for paying damages and repairs. Juveniles hold parents responsible, including for kids not in school. I don't know the know. Texter says everybody's fed up with it. I don't know. I, you, you don't see that indication. I, I think we're just communities of sheep that we put up with this, and we allow this stuff to just go on and on and on and accept the fact that it's the new normal. Well, some point in time may- maybe maybe people will get furious enough about this and the out-of-control crime that they will start electing politicians and electing judges and electing prosecutors who are committed to making the streets safe, but we are a far cry from that now. All right. Let us switch gears, but we'll continue to talk about automobiles. Uh, The prediction is that gasoline is going to hit $4 a gallon very soon. Um, Right now, they they say the average price of gasoline around here is somewhere in the neighborhood of of $3.40. You can find it for a little less. You can find it for a little more. But with what is going on, first of all, with inflation to begin with, and then you overlay what is going on in Ukraine, and then you have the the seasonal thing that always happens around here, and the summer driving season comes, and of course prices go up because of that. You know, the, the estimates are that you're Looking at um, you know at least four dollars a gallon. Some of the estimates say, well, you know, I think especially if the Ukraine situation goes on for long, you know, get used to four dollars and twenty five cents a gallon. Get used to four fifty a gallon, and, and that's that's just in our area. Other places, I mean, that's already where it is. You go to Los Angeles and you're already paying more than five dollars a gallon for gasoline. Our number is That six one six twenty. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. There is a point. Where the price of gasoline begins to affect people's habits, and I, I don't know where that level is. For the longest time, people were talking about it being three dollars a gallon. Well, that that's that's well past. But by affect driving habits, I mean you consciously make decisions that you're you're not going to go to places. Um, because it, it costs too much, that um, normally you would run a, a series of errands. Hey, I'd go to four or five places. Maybe I'd go out, you know, twice a day and, and run different errands. Maybe now it's just I'm, I'm going to consolidate stuff. Um, I'm not going to if I live in. Ozaki County, I am I love, there's a great butcher shop or there's a great store I like to go to that's in Waukesha County, but I'm not going to drive out there because, well, I, I don't want to spend the money on the gasoline to do it, even though I, I like that store that's really nice out in Waukesha County. I'm just going to drive to the store that's down the block from me. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, my experience has been for a lot of people, that magic number is $4 a gallon and once it hits $4 a gallon people's behavior starts to change what is that magic number or or is there a magic number i mean will continue, people continue to drive the same way and and if if it's four or five dollars a gallon will they continue to do it the other effect of high gasoline prices is the fact that it also drives other prices as well because how does stuff get to the stores that we buy well by and large it's delivered in trucks and those trucks, what do they run on? Well, they run on gasoline or diesel or whatever. And as that cost goes up, it means those prices get passed on. In addition, for lots of people that provide services, maybe you have a lawn service, somebody that cuts that, comes out every once, once every week and cuts your grass or, you know, maintains your driveways, plows the snow, whatever. Those, those machines that they use All, you know, run on gasoline. So when the businesses have to pay more for that, what do they do? They have to charge more. 855-616-1620. At what point is there a certain dollar amount when gas hits a certain price that that is going to start affecting your life 855-616-1620 my experience has been for a lot of people it's that four dollars a gallon that is the magic number we discuss in just a minute 855-616-1620 this is jeff wagner
4: welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj Our,
1: our text line does make me smile from time to time jeff too bad the United States does not have a big pipeline that could bring us gas and oil from Canada. And further, too bad we don't have a lot of wells that could be easily opened up and start pumping oil again. How nice it was to be energy independent just a year ago. Yeah, that there is an element about this. And, and there, there's no question, if I'm a Republican running for election in November, that is a huge issue. You know, the idea, what about Keystone Pipeline? What about drilling and all these things? And I understand Biden is obsessed with kind of appeasing the, the clean energy crowd and all and, and maybe there's going to be a point in time in the future where electric vehicles are, are viable but that's not right now and right now you've got four dollars plus an all, uh, a gallon gasoline right now you need to do stuff which increases domestic oil pop uh, production and even that if, if that offends some of the we want to be all electric all right that's you got to do it now and this is a huge issue and and yes wouldn't it be nice if we had a big pipeline eight five five six one six one six twenty but as gas hits four dollars a gallon and more how is it going to impact impact your life. Just got a text from somebody who's listening in Los Angeles. $5.50 a gallon already. Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hi, how are you? Uh, first Hi, of all, I agree totally with the previous caller with the pipeline issue. Um, and second of all, um, our sideline is we do a lot of antiquing where we travel and do shows and that type of thing. First of all, it, with the gas prices, we can't go find the stuff because Traveling to purchase the item, and then you're wondering, are you know what's the crowds going to be like? No one's going to want to spend four or five dollars a gallon to go travel to, let's say Elkhorn, Wisconsin, you know, to, to go to a show. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna cripple um, even the trucking industry with with those people putting you know fuel in their tanks and food prices. I mean, we finally kind of got through COVID, and then. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody's trying to regroup here, and then it's just yuck. I mean, it's just, what do you do?
1: Well it, well, it is. You know, It's interesting, Chris, while you were talking, I, I got a text, Jeff, relatives are telling us that they were planning to drive from Cleveland to Milwaukee. They've now called off that trip. They're not coming to visit because yeah. of gas per gallon. And, and my guess is, is people are looking at their summer plans. There's a lot of people that are going to be saying that, you know, we this was, the, COVID ended. This was the year we wanted to get out and we wanted to go drive to Yellowstone or we wanted to go visit, you know, family, friends in Washington, D.C. or whatever. And now they're looking at these costs and they're saying, but we can't afford to to do it and, and and it's it's just it's, so incredibly frustrating i guess
4: yeah and it's going to be like a staycation year i mean for the first time my husband said hey you know what i don't know where we're going to you know go and how many shows we're going to do because it you know the prices we're not going to ohio or we're not going to you know further up in wisconsin or you know because right. it's just and to haul a trailer you know it's just it's forget right. it i mean it's no, no, thank- No, you're right. Thanks for the
1: call, Chris. No, you're right. And, and of course, understand the point you were alluding to and I was making earlier on. It's it, it, the, the four bucks a gallon, or the five bucks a gallon, is what you see when you pull in to fill up your car and realize, okay, that the tank is, you know, twenty gallon, fifteen gallons. Let's say it's a fifteen gallon tank, and I'm putting fifteen gallons in. Well, at four bucks a gallon, that's what sixty bucks. And you know, it, two years ago I could do it for thirty bucks. Well, and again, you want to talk about? I always use the term regressive. A reg- you hear the term thrown around a lot. It's a regressive tax. A regressive tax means it, it hurts. Poor people more than it hurts wealthier people and, and there there is nothing more regressive than high gas prices because for for people who have a degree of wealth they they don't like paying that 60 bucks again uh, you know to fill up their tank but they can afford to do it for people that don't have as much money well okay that's that's a big deal you've got to fill up your tank you've got to get to work you got to get the kids to school or whatever but you got to figure out where you're getting that 30 bucks that extra 30 bucks that's some hard choices maybe that maybe that means that you've got a I don't know, cut back on, on the food you're buying or certainly limit your, your other sort of activities. Now, it's a big deal, and you would think that there would be some outrage, especially from people in the lower income groups about this, which, again, does raise this question about Joe Biden and some of the people that support him and their inability to increase Uh, increase our our supply of of gas and oil to solve this problem. But, oh, no, we don't want to do that because we don't want to encourage people to drive their cars. Well, okay, here's the bottom line. We're a decade or more away from this all-electric thing. So let's help the poor people out in the first place. Let's talk to Craig at Horicon. Craig, you're on WTMJ.
3: Jeff, perfect lead-in those of us that are on social security yes we did get a a bump this year but it will not cover the energy costs and it's it, it's a bigger picture than that uh some of us are also disabled and some of the disabled vehicles or in my case i'm a large man i cannot get by in a small electric vehicle i need uh, a truck or an suv to, to haul my excuse fat butt around um <laughs> I'm just not going to fit in a, a small electric vehicle. And, uh, and I can't afford a new vehicle either. That's all electric. Uh, I don't have that money. Other thing is, it, like you said, it does affect groceries. It affects, uh, clothes that we have to go out and buy, uh, all those transportation costs. And the one other thing is, heating costs have already started going up. And I know that's natural gas versus you know, petroleum, but still, those costs are going up as well. Uh, There's got to be an end to this, and we do have the solution. We were there just a couple years ago. Again, I'm not saying we have to open everything up, but we have to be reasonable. Don't you agree?
1: I absolutely no thanks for call, Craig. I, I, absolutely. And look and I, I, I understand that maybe electric cars and things like that are the wave of the future, but we are not there. And and what we need to do is we need to provide relief and, and it's 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 there. It's moving on energy independence. And and a lot I'm getting some texts from people who are some of our listeners on, on the left who are, are just it's really, really interesting. Like one text says four dollars a gallon just means one less Starbucks a week. It's minuscule. Okay, so that's that is the argument. There's people out there who just want to poo-poo this. All right, so if, if it's minuscule, what do you care if it's four bucks a gallon? What do you care if it's five dollars a gallon? It doesn't make any difference, you know. Well, I, I'm. I'm sorry. I, I think it, it actually does make a difference. And I think in the real world, people do end up having to change their habits on this. And, I, again, I I understand there's some people who just want to say nothing to see here. What do we care about inflation? What do we care about gas prices going through the roof? Well, okay, that's... That's wonderful. Jeff, I'm a route driver. Last year I could have filled up for under $100. Today it's around $150. Diesel was already $4.14. Um, Jeff, $4 a gallon gasoline. That's not bad. People need to suck it up. Uh, it's just, it is mind boggling to me that people would have that attitude. Jeff, I deliver the Milwaukee Journal newspaper in Ozaukee County is extra income. Some of us out there driving 5 hours straight delivering newspapers. Well that's a very that that's a very good point. I I don't I mean I don't know how much money you you make driving and delivering, you know, newspapers for the Journal Sentinel, but my my guess is you know my my guess is it's not like it's an incredibly lucrative you know um side hustle, but it's true you know if you watch gasoline prices for just something like that go from i don't know two dollars a gallon or two fifty a gallon to four bucks a gallon or five bucks a gallon at some point in time, it becomes just cost prohibitive. you look there and you say okay well i'm I'm spending all the money I make you know <laughs> drive driving around delivering these papers so at what point in time are at what point in time are you going to say, "Okay, this makes a difference, Jeff those people on the left are going to start complaining when they called me for a flooring estimate and there's a fuel ch- surcharge on there. they will be the first ones to complain about this um yeah, I, I think you know that's the whole idea that's out there and 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 look, I I don't mean to make this incredibly political, other than the fact that I I think that you, one of the disappointing things that you've seen, I think in my opinion from the President, has been this refusal to recognize that we need to get back to energy independence. I understand why he's doing it. He he doesn't like, you know, the, the natural gas. He doesn't like fossil fuels. And the idea of letting people drill or opening up these pipelines, it would antagonize, you know, the people on the far left, the Green New Deal folks who want to see everything go electric and we're just again my point is we're not there in 2022 2030 2035 I don't know but right now we need gasoline and I think these prices four dollars four fifty five dollars or however high it's going to be that's just unacceptable it's also avoidable so I you know collectively maybe there needs to be a degree of outrage back with more in just a minute this is Jeff Wagner
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's
1: Jeff Wagner. Well, that was an interesting first hour of the program. Matter of fact, I have one of my—I'm getting I one of my favorite emails um, of the day here. Jeff, you are lucky in the United States. I am listening to you from Wolverhampton, England, and here in the UK, we are paying the equivalent of nine dollars per gallon for gasoline. Yeah, it's it's always been that way in Europe. Things are very different in Europe, but um, I, I I appreciate it. Yes, if you compare the prices of gasoline here to the prices of gasoline in Europe, but it's a whole different world. Um, so, but I appreciate you also listening from Wolverhampton, England. All right, let's continue to go where angels fear to tread. Ron DeSantis, who is the governor of Florida. Um, I, I think there is a very, very real chance that Ron DeSantis could be the next president of the United States in 2024. Now, I understand that there's people who think that, oh, well, Donald Trump is, is going to run. I'm still not sure about that. And if Trump runs, I don't think he can win. I've, I've just said that. I, I do not believe. I think there's too much baggage. Don't think he can win. DeSantis, on the other hand, and again, a, you know, who knows what the world's going to look like in 2024, but DeSantis on the other hand, I think captures a lot of the populist sentiment that Trump has but he doesn't have a lot of the baggage that, that Donald Trump has so I mean I, I think I think DeSantis would be a very very strong candidate one of the great things is just like Trump I mean really didn't care about his critics DeSantis speaks his mind and, and some people find it refreshing and some people find it appalling so anyways here, here's the latest story it, it, it has to do with the whole concept of masks if you want to see this clip I, I've and you follow me on Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 I've got a link to this that, that's up there. Well, as I have made the point um, over the last couple weeks in, in conversations and in topics that I know some of you just don't want to hear, I understand that there's people who have decided that they want to be in masks for the rest of their lives. And that, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I think for most of us, We are past the the masking situation and that there's really no justifiable reason anymore for people to wear masks. If you're immune compromised, I I understand that might be a different sort of situation. But what happened before COVID? I mean, you know, people weren't wearing masks if they were immune compromised because they were afraid of the flu or whatever. So I, I think we're past it. But nevertheless, if people want to wear masks, I don't have a problem with it. The best indicator of this, and it's again an interesting reflection to me that this whole mask debate hasn't always been about science but it's been about politics is mysteriously at the State of the Union address on Tuesday that happens to be the day that we lift the mask mandate in in the capital so Joe Biden's not wearing a mask Nobody's sitting with one or two exceptions nobody in the audience is wearing uh, a mask now why do you think that happened well I think it's very very clear because the people that are putting together the State of the Union they understand that the American people have moved past the concept of masks and so Rather than look, I don't know if the word is silly, but, but rather than look out of step, here we're going to suddenly lift the mask mandate. It really, in my opinion, had nothing to do with science. I'm not sure it's had anything to do with science over the last few weeks, but it was more appearance and things like that. But anyhow, in Congress, no mask mandate anymore. So uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, shows up at, at a Tampa high school the other day, and he's going to announce uh, funding for the expansion of a cybersecurity education program. Okay, and it's it's the backdrop of this is that there's a, a bunch of students who are going to be standing behind him. So he gets there, he he walks up to the podium. The students are standing behind him, and all the students are wearing the masks. They're they're wearing masks, and he he looks at them. And he kind of shakes his head, and he says, you, you don't have to wear those masks. I, I mean, please, please take them off. And, and some of the kids, they start laughing, and they start taking these off. He says, honestly, it's not doing anything, and we've got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine. But th- this, is, this is ridiculous. He continues, he sighs heavily, puts his binder on the podium, and then begins the event. Some of the kids remove their masks, others keep them on. Okay, that that's fine. So he then, during the conference, he points out that masks were not mandatory for Tuesday night's State of the Union speech by, you know, Joe Biden. So, all right, this, this, is, this is a clip that goes out on, on social media, and it generates a huge response. First of all, because it's Ron DeSantis, who may be, you know, the next president of the United States. But secondly, this hits at the very heart of the whole mask debate. And some people look at this and say, oh, this is just absolutely terrible. How can you be there bullying these, these children who are just trying to stay safe? The flip side is DeSantis uses the phrase, it's COVID theater. It, you know, th- this isn't doing anything at all. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Was DeSantis right? Was showing up at this press conference and these kids wearing the masks? Was that COVID theater? Was it virtue signaling when he told them they didn't have to wear the masks? Was that bullying or was it just a dose of reality? 855 616 1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and text line we discuss in a moment.
4: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. All right, as you might expect, my uh, texts are all over the map about this. This was bullying and verbal abuse. He had no right to say what he did. It was terrible. Um, okay, so you've got that. Jeff, it's okay for DeSantis to have an opinion. I thought the clip looked bad um, for what he said. Um, Jeff, it wasn't so much what he said. It's more his Bobby Knight delivery. He's no Jeff Wagner. <laughs> I don't know. what that, that Jeff is calmer about this. Um, Jeff, every one of those high school students, even if not vaccinated, is way safer from COVID. Um, um, Than the octogenarians at the State of the Union address. Jeff, I have to agree with the critics. Governor DeSantis was rude in how he asked the children not to wear masks. Well, they're not really children. These are high school students. Um, Jeff, uh, the day after the State of the Union, everyone is superiors wearing a mask when the president talked. Huh. Uh, Jeff, the entire scene was theater. Jeff, the kids are tough. They've been bullied for the last two years by being forced to wear masks. Jeff, the snowflakes need to just calm the heck down. God bless him. Someone with common sense. He's got my vote if he runs for president. Jeff, the immature bullying that the Republicans do is downright embarrassing. Um, You get the idea all across the map. And I, I suspect a lot of this, again, breaks down on, you know, where you are politically eight five five six one six one six twenty Mike in Illinois Mike you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon Jeff how are you Hi Mike good what do you think?
5: Well I, I I do think his delivery wasn't good but to me it looked like he was just just so frustrated because obviously he's been fighting this for a while and when I saw it right you know even before like as he walked up to the podium before he said a word I thought that was done on purpose. Now, your screener made a good point. If the policy of the school is for the kids to wear masks, then they have to wear masks. But then I would think they would ask Governor DeSantis to wear a mask if it was their policy. And he just looked over, you know, he just looked totally frustrated, which I get. So especially since it's, it's coming out more and more that the masks, you know, don't really do too much. And I've worn mine for two and a half years now almost. So yeah. just stop, stop taking it off on February 28th.
1: Do you think, um, do you you think that, I mean, he used the phrase COVID theater. Do you think that there is sort of an element of that to mask wearing nowadays?
5: Absolutely. And I want to also add, since you brought up Biden, I think that was COVID theater too, but in the opposite way. He's trying to show now that he's a regular guy because it's not looking good anymore. The optics aren't looking good Mm -hmm. anymore to wear masks. So he's changing you know, just like he changed when he all of a sudden came out against the rioters saying they're bad when his numbers dropped. He's the ultimate COVID theater guy. But yes, well, I do Mike, believe it was COVID theater.
1: Yeah, Mike, th- th- thanks for the call. No, I, I, I think, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I'm glad you made that point because that's one of the things that struck me about the, this conversation, especially in light of the State of the Union address. And, and that's, it, it. and see, I guess my interpretation would be, why do I think they, they dropped the mask requirement at the State of the Union, uh, right before the State of the Union? Well, I, I think it, you're right. I think it was an element of COVID theater as well. I think that in this case, Biden and his advisors and Biden's poll numbers are awful and I think they realize that, that people people have passed they're they're done with masks in general I understand that there's some of you out there that will wear masks forever and and that that's okay I I don't have a problem with that but he realizes that that's not where the vast majority of Americans are now so I think as he he's also trying to convey this impression that hey okay we we've won the battle against covid it's not over yet but but here we're getting back to normalcy so what a better time to drop this than at the State of the Union when presumably you've got this huge audience of people watching as opposed to reinforcing the idea that, gee, we're not out of this pandemic by having people be required to wear masks. So I think that there was a lot of COVID theater, as it were, that was going on there. I, I guess um, I think that, you know, what what happens here, this is, it's again, it's one of the things that to me – sort of underscores how polarized we are. I, I don't think this was bullying. And, and I think, you know, for the people who are texting me, oh, this was bullying these poor children. You, you, you really need, life is tough, get a helmet. You, you really need to get over that. This This was not bullying, you can argue that he didn't approach this in the right way and that he might have just kind of ignored the thing. I don't think any of those kids, or at least I I don't think any of the, I don't think the kids felt that it was bullied. Some of them kept their masks on. A lot of them, they were just laughing as they took the masks off because I think they kind of agreed with the governor that at this point in time there wasn't much purpose to that. So I don't buy the idea that it was bullying. At the same time, would I have gone down this route? No, because I, I think that I think that our new normal is going to be that there are going to be people who will decide to, of their own volition, wear masks forever. And I'm, I really am okay with that. I, I don't, if, if it makes you more comfortable for whatever reason, that when you go into a grocery store, you want to wear a mask, or when you go into a movie theater, or you go to a baseball game, if we ever have baseball games again, or whatever, and you want to wear a mask, I, I think that that's your choice, and I do not think you should be mocked for making that choice. At the same time, for people who make the decision that, you know, I'm vaccinated, I'm boosted, I've had covid Um, I feel fine. I'm not going to wear a mask. I I don't think that those people should be treated as pariahs either. I think we just need to recognize that can't we just get along? We're going to have to get along because there are going to be these two types of people in the world, the people that always wear masks, the people that never wear masks, and maybe, maybe there'll be a third category of people who occasionally decide that they're going to wear masks. For example, At some point in time, I predict in the near future, maybe by mid-March, I think they're going to drop the mask requirements in airports and on airplanes, which is the last vestige of that. But I believe there's probably going to be some people who continue to wear masks, not just for COVID purposes, but just because, you know, they they don't want to sit next to the kid that's coughing up a lung on, on the plane. So they might wear masks, you know, all the time. So I, I think there might even be a third category of people that wear masks sometimes and don't wear masks other time. But that's, that's just the reality. From the perspective of politicians, whether it's Joe Biden or Whether it's Ron DeSantis, I do think that there's an element of COVID theater going along out there. Do I think this was bullying? No. Would I have just gone on and given the presentation? Yes, I I would have. This endears DeSantis to the anti-mask people. This, again, is just more ammunition for the people who don't like DeSantis to say, oh, he's nothing but another version of Trump. Um, So we're appealing to our bases on both ways. Bottom line is, when it comes to masks, I think everybody's just got to get ready for the new normal, which is going to be people are allowed to make their choices. And you shouldn't be criticized one way or the other for the choice that you make. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
4: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank are senior realtors Bruce and Gene Nemovitz. Trust, experience, integrity. Are you a senior looking to sell your home or someone looking to help a family member downsize? Well, with over 20 years of experience, Bruce and Gene are dedicated to providing the best services to seniors and their families. To learn more, visit Bruce's or call 262-242-6177. Easiest text of the day to answer. And, of course, we get, uh, trust in the course of a program, hundreds and hundreds of texts. Here's one. I would really like to hear one thing Republicans have done since the beginning of the pandemic to help end the pandemic. Seriously, 100% of their efforts have been made to make it harder to end this thing. The Republican policy since the start of this thing has been 100% theater. The numbers don't lie. Red states have much higher death rates. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But the, the challenge was one thing that Republicans have done to help end the pandemic. And my response was simple. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine words. How about Trump fast tracking the development of vaccines? Hmm. I mean, Republicans have absolutely nothing. Look, what what is the single most significant development that we have had since the start of the pandemic, which... Uh, led to, I think, us now starting to see light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I believe it was vaccines. And, yes, I'm a pro-vaccine guy. And, and look, fairness, that that got fast-tracked under the Trump administration. And you can hate Donald Trump for all sorts of stuff, but you cannot deny that that's – you know that's where the effort was made and the vaccine started rolling out right as Biden took over and st- stuff and but oh, the Republicans did nothing to do this and they wanted people to die yeah not really I mean I think you, you can argue about different things and mask mandates and things like that but um, you know uh, here's what you have there that the whole idea is you that's where the vaccines came from Um on a just completely changing changing uh, the this, this story here. I just I saw the story, and I know Bob Babish, who has been Summerfest's top talent booker for 46 years, and I know Bob is going to be on uh, Wisconsin's Afternoon News, I believe, this afternoon for an interview. But um, Bob Babish, who has been booking acts at Summerfest for 46 years, announced that he's retiring essentially at, at the end of the year. Bob is a... Summerfest legend, and he is is just a, a treasure. He's he's a good guy. Great stories. I, I we're not we we know each other. I would argue that we're close friends. Last time I ran into Bob, we were um, just. We we were I was at a driving range. I'm hitting golf balls, and I look over, and there's Bob, the guy looking at me, and I'm looking at him. It's Bob Abish. So we had a, a nice conversation. Bob is going to be seven. Bob is seventy one, and has decided that you know he it, it's time to kind of step back from the day to day you know battles of, of trying to book X and things like that. And he's going to remain on as a consultant, and that's 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 good. But um the last couple of years, I'm sure, have been incredibly difficult. You look at, you know, you had Summerfest that was essentially called off two years ago. Last year, you know, it happened, but it happened after being rescheduled from its typical dates into the fall. And you've had all these battles about like bands that are going out. I mean, I'm sure the last couple of years have been an incredible challenge. And, and I think Bob Babish has performed admirably doing that. But you look back at, at the entire body of work that he's had, and he's been at Summerfest since uh, 1978. Think of all the developments, and think of all the changes, and think of all the different acts that have been at Summerfest. Fest since 1978, and, and Bob Babish has been instrumental in bringing all those acts here. He has had a life, at least a, a very incredible career. It's been a job well done, and I'm glad he's sticking around as a consultant. I'm glad he's around for one more year. Um, Bob Babish will be missed, and like I say, he is a local treasure. My understanding is he's going to be on Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John McCure at 3.30 today.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: I admit that I am partially at fault for this. I am—I am an avid reader. Um, At any given time, I have two or three books going. I just finished a new book on the the Kennedy-Nixon election in 1960, and the the book I I just started—one of three I have—it's called. I have it in my hand right now. It's called "When France Fell," and it's a story about. It, it's it's fact based and it's about World War Two and at the start of World War Two and how I think a lot of the Allies felt that that France was not going to be taken over by Germany, and that the French army and the Maginot Line and things would be able to provide resistance to Germany, and everybody had a lot of time to kind of prepare. And then the shock was that uh, the, the French army just crumbled like it, it did. And, and actually, there's some interesting parallels, I think, between, it's one of the reasons I picked this book to start reading right now, there's some interesting parallels, I think, between what happened in 1939 and 1940, and maybe what's going on in, in Ukraine now I don't want to overstate it, but it, it, it's sort of interesting. But anyhow, I, I like I, I read constantly, and it used to be, and I say used to be, I'm talking about maybe ten years ago. I would regularly make trips to the brick and mortar bookstores, and I'd go to Barnes and Noble, and I'd walk up and down the aisles, and I'd look for books that interested me. I, I'd go to Borders. Remember when there were Borders? I mean Borders. These are these two giant national chains of bookstores. Well, Borders is out of business. They went into bankruptcy a few years ago. Barnes & Noble is, I I don't want to overstate it, but they're kind of on fumes. I mean, they've had years of, of declining revenue as they're trying to reinvent themselves. And while you do have small independent bookstores that are still around, they're they 're disappearing on a regular basis, and they 're struggling to to survive so you know what what is the phenomena what What has happened? Has it been people you know reading less well i, I don 't know i mean like I, I still like hard copies of books, but i mean i don 't understand that there 's people who have the Kindles and are the e readers I think people are are still reading and reading a lot they might be doing it in a different way but what's happening is they're getting their books in a different way and again I I confess that I am guilty of this Um, I I don't go to the brick and mortar bookstore anymore I can't remember the last time that I was physically in a bookstore I, I just I don't remember it which isn't to say I don't buy books on a regular basis, but what do I do? I order them from Amazon. You know, I've got Amazon Prime, so it's free delivery. I'll be reading something, and somebody will say, "Hey, there's this really interesting book that's out there." I'll see a book review in the New York Times or in the Washington Post or in the, the Wall Street Journal or whatever. It'll be an interesting book review, and I'll say, "Hey, that that's great." Well, rather than getting in the car and driving to the brick and mortar store and seeing whether they have it or not, what what do I do? Well, I walk into my office, I go on the computer, I go onto Amazon, I put in the title, you know, When France Fell, and yeah, there it is. I order it, and a day or two later, it shows up at my house. You know, in some cases, and this has happened, I've got these, there'll be books that are are relatively obscure. I mean, like, there, there was a, it's actually a related sort of book that came out like five or six years ago, now it's in paperback, and I... You know, I, it's it's not like it's a bestseller or anything, but I was intrigued by that. I read the review. I wanted to get the book, so I put this in, and, and yeah, Amazon has it. They deliver it to my house the next day. So, I mean, it's if I know if I had gone to, like, one of the brick-and-mortar bookstores, they, they wouldn't have had this particular... This was an obscure book. They wouldn't have had it in stock. Yeah, they could have ordered it for me and maybe got it to me, but it's, it's easy. I don't have to leave my house, and then I've got the book. So, I mean, I, I understand that, you know, I, I'm... I've seen the enemy and he's us, uh, But and I'm part of that problem, but it's it's the convenience. Well, I bring this up because Amazon, which through their distribution system, I think really has essentially killed off a lot of bookstores and probably will continue to kill off a lot more. One of the things that Amazon did a few years ago is they opened their own brick-and-mortar bookstores. They, they opened, a matter of fact, across the country they have – um, 66 stores, and they started opening these in, in 2015. So they were actually competing with the Barnes and Nobles and the Borders, and in some respects competing with themselves by, by having the actual brick-and-mortar stores. Uh, what they announced yesterday is that they are now closing all those stores so they're they're getting out of the physical bookstore business they say they're going to concentrate on on their their physical stores with food but but they're 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 getting rid of their bookstores now so it's only 66 stores across the country but still they tried to make the brick and mortar um method method work and it it failed our number is 855-616-1620 which is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line will there be bookstores 10 years from now and and i guess when i say bookstores i mean like national chains of bookstores i, I suspect that there's always going to be just like there's a, a place where you you can go and you can always find the the record of the, the vinyl record store you know you, you can still find those places heck there's one blockbuster store that's, that's still left i think in the country but i i mean you know, any significant number, you know, you, you go to the malls and stuff like that, if there's still going to be malls, you know, are, are there going to be bookstores or will the way that I have been buying my books lately, will that be the way that we all buy our books? And is there anything that, say, a bookstore owner could do to reverse that trend, eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I mean, I don't wish for the, the death of brick-and-mortar bookstores, but I will tell you, as somebody who is a, a regular book buyer who loves to read, I've just fallen out of the habit of going to the various bookstores. It's just so easy to get books in this fashion. You know that you're going to be able to get it. It's delivered the next day. I I just don't see how this business model succeeds moving forward other than as a real specialty. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What's the future going to look like? We discuss in just a moment. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. It is interesting to me that Amazon, whose business model, really put a lot of bookstores out of business. I I mean, Amazon, I think, killed borders. And and Barnes & Noble... Their, their revenue has been decreasing dramatically year after year, plus a lot of smaller independent chains have just been run out of business because they can't compete with the Amazon model. A few years back, Amazon went to brick-and-mortar bookstores. Not a lot, but 66 across the country. They announced yesterday they're closing all of them. So Amazon was actually competing with itself with the brick-and-mortar model, but they couldn't make a go of it, which makes me wonder whether you know, anybody other than the, the real niche, I mean, like I say, you've got vinyl record stores, and I, I have no doubt that that there will continue to be. I, I don't know the. I mean, I remember in Wisconsin Avenue, there used to be this used bookstore, and they just had all the. I mean, just just thousands and thousands of 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 books that you could you know wander around and, and look at. And I'm sure that there will be that niche. But I'm talking about the the major. You know, the major bookstores. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think used bookstores should come back. I love browsing old books. I don't think new bookstores will be around much anymore. Um, a lot of people are saying that. Jeff, I've seen so many stores come and go at the Bayshore Mall over the last 25 years and in the surrounding area. The one thing that baffles me is how the Barnes and Noble has been a constant at Bayshore the entire time when so many other stores that seem more viable have gone out of business. Um, you know, that, that's, that's interesting. That, that is one of the stores that's been successful in, in the Bayshore town center. Now, Barnes and Noble is, is is trying to... What what Barnes & Noble, I think, realized that they had to do was they had to be more than than just a a bookstore. So, you know, Barnes & Noble... Part of their model's been they've, they've you know they've got the they've got the cafes that are in each of their their stores or at least in many of the stores. So it's a coffee shop as well that's in there, and they do a lot of stuff to reach out to, for example, get families to bring kids in, whether it's you know readings and stuff like that. Jeff, I read a lot, but I love reading on my Kindle. Between the library's app and the Kindle Unlimited, I just don't read many paper books anymore. Jeff, my wife and I go to the library in Saint Francis. She reads constantly. If they don't have a certain book, they get it from another library and they let us know when it comes in. Um, We love it. Jeff, I hope bookstores are around. I'm in my 30s and an avid reader. And while I have my favorites, I enjoy walking into the store and seeing what strikes my fancy sometime. I enjoy a physical book and mourn the loss of the Barnes and Noble on 76th Street in Greenfield. There, you know, there is, I I understand what they're saying about the, the browsing and I I used to be a browser, like I say. I would I would go to you know one of these bookstores, and I would wander around, and you'd look at the new releases, and you'd say, "Oh, this is I didn't know this author that I like is just had a book coming out or or whatever," and I'd make those impulse purchases. I, I guess I've just I've gotten away from that because it's just. It's the time-consuming stuff, and it's I've got so many books that I want to read that I, I just don't, I guess I don't browse that much anymore. It's like, oh, somebody will say this is a good book, or, you know, I, I'm kind of a completist, like, all right, you want to, uh, th- there's this new novel, and it's like number four in a series. Well, I don't want to read the fourth one. I mean, I want to go back and read the first three first, and, and rather than trying to track it down at a bookstore, it's just so much easier to go online and say, okay, I want uh, four editions. I want one through four of whatever this is. Let's talk to Joe in Mequon. Joe you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Joe. What do you yeah,
6: think? Great topic. I was uh, I was actually at Barnes and Noble uh, yesterday, browsing. Uh, so I would have to say that just like the walk-in bookstores, and I were we both fit into the category of anachronistic. <laughs> and I agree that they're that they're, they, they are on the way out. I hope that's not true about me. But, uh, but I, too, I, I just I like to hand, handle that book. I like, like to read the inside cover. I know you can do all of that uh, online, and, and I would say my purchases now are probably 50-50. Right. Um, but one of the things I've noticed, and, and you mentioned earlier, is when I do go to a, a Barnes & Noble, uh, I might have read a review in the Wall Street Journal just you uh, referred to earlier, and uh, when I get to Barnes and Noble, it's not there. Yeah, and they'll they'll have to order for order it for me, and and you know it might take two weeks, whereas Amazon Amazon's probably going to be next day. Yeah. So uh, obviously, the, the convenience of uh, doing doing it online is is there. So, but yeah. you know, I, I'm probably going to. I may fight this one to the end though. I, I still enjoy the browsing
1: part of it. Yeah, well that's, thanks for the call, Joe. I appreciate it. And there is that, that value to it. I just wonder I, I wonder if there's enough Joes out there to sustain that that type of that type of business model as it moves forward. And I, I really appreciate what you're saying about the, the, having the thing that, that's in stock and and again, it's one thing for the best sellers you know we're okay you you got you know so-and-so is coming out with a, the new book and you know wants to get a hold of that but what I find a lot of times is I end up getting attracted to maybe some more obscure stuff and I will tell you honestly I don't know how Amazon does it I, I mean I just I, I confess that this is and it, it's not honest to goodness it is a true story like I say I have this book in my hand you know when France fell which is a relatively new book and in reading I was reading a review of it, which is why I bought it. And the guy that had done the review, and it was in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the New York Times, I forget, the guy that had done the book, that 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 review that I found interesting had written another he had written a book about a related sort of topic France in World War two and and I because they were saying okay the so-and-so Jeff Wagner doing the review is the author of such and such and it's this kind of obscure book that I think came out in 2014 but but I thought that sounded interesting to read as a companion to this book I'm reading so I, I'm thinking okay where am I going to find this this book that was written in 2014 about the Vichy government in France I mean it trust me it was an incredible obscure sort of thing i go on amazon i put it in there they've got it and it was delivered i could have had it delivered to the house the same day and i remember i, I just i don't understand the amazon i don't understand how they do it because i swear i do not understand how i can be sitting in you know southeastern wisconsin go on my computer or you know order some obscure book that i doubt anybody has purchased anywhere in the world in the last you know year and a half and and it's delivered to my house if I wanted a couple hours later I mean how does Amazon get that book I mean how wh- where do these different things come from I'm just the how you talk about supply chain stuff I just don't understand how they're able to do it but I, I know if I had tried to order that book from a brick and mortar bookstore yeah they could have gotten it but to your point Joe it would be several months out there so I, I'm just it, it is interesting to me that you've got Amazon which put brick and mortar stores out of business. They started their own brick-and-mortar stores, and now they've gone out of business as well. Who knows what it's going to look like in a few years. Back with more in just a minute, including a segment I call How the Mighty Have Fallen. Stick around.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Just as a to kind of put a ribbon around our conversation in the last half hour of the program about book and more book and and mortar brick and mortar stores and things alike, um, in, in the last segment, one of one of the texters says, "Jeff, have you read a, a certain book? And it's it's an historical fiction book um, set around World War II." And I, I said, "No, I, I haven't." Is it good? And the, the texter said, "Yeah, it's really good. It's part of a, a series." So during the break, go on Amazon, put it in and i read the description of it it sounds like something that i would like it's available in paperback you can order it it's 15 bucks Ordered it, going to be delivered to my house tomorrow. <laughs> you know, but it just it, it is it's kind of that that so there is a degree of kind of impulse buying that's there now. Now don't send me all your book recommendations because I you know I I I need to have you know the good karma folks pay me a lot more money if I if I bought all the books and stuff. But it it was kind of an interesting one. I thought oh that that looks like a sort of interesting book. I'll order it and then of course you get it delivered tomorrow and again it's a. I don't know that I'm going to say it's an obscure book, but I had certainly never heard of it or the author, and and so it saved me the problem of getting in the car and driving to a store and seeing if they have it. Just a couple clicks, 30 seconds later, hey, you know, it's Amazon Prime, free delivery. It's coming to your place. All right, as long as we are talking about institutions which may or may not be around moving forward, there's some big news involving the United States Postal Service. Now, if you are a regular listener to this program, you know, I I am a huge fan of of the post office, and and I guess from the perspective of presenting a talk radio show, maybe it's better if I just say, oh, this is terrible, mail delivery service is terrible, it's awful, and they don't get stuff around and they screw this up. Maybe that makes for a more interesting show, but that's not how I feel. I have been, over the years, I have been incredibly impressed with, with the job the postal service does and with the fact that they're able to do it at a, at a I think a, a reasonable price. I mean, when when you think about it, even at fifty whatever cents it is now for for a first class envelope, you know, you you can put a you can put a letter in the mail in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and for fifty some cents, it ends up getting delivered, you know, across the country. It's I, and I think the Postal Service does a good job. Can you can you say, okay, my, you know, it took me an extra day or so to you know get my mail, or this thing got lost, or that got lost? Yeah, that that's going to inevitably happen. But I've always believed the Postal Service. I, I think I have a lot of respect for the people that work at the Postal Service and for the job that, that they end up doing. So the problem is the Postal Service has been hemorrhaging money for the longest time. And and there's a few things that are going on. First of all, people don't send letters anymore. I mean, we we all correspond on on email. Secondly, fewer and fewer people use the U.S. mail to pay their bills. Now, I understand that there might be some people out there who, you know, you, you still... Every month the bill from Coles comes and, you know, you write out a check and then you put it in the mail, you put the stamp on it, then you fill it out and you put it in the envelope and then you go and you, you drop it off at the, at the mailbox. I understand there's some people who do it, but more and more people do what I, I think uh, is certainly becoming the norm now, which is it's pretty much all electronic. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't want to say that there's no bill that I get that I don't pay you know actually write out a check for but as as i'm sitting here i can't think of that one i mean most of the bills i get recurring bills they're all set up to be paid electronically now i'm not saying it's automatically taken out of my checking account but but for example there'll be you get the bill for the month and then you know i I have a way that i can go in and, and take it out of my checking account i don't if if five years ago I might have paid 15 bills by mail a month. Now it might be like one every two or three months. Generally speaking, just sort of the obscure stuff. Maybe it's, you know, when you get the, I don't know the, I pay my insurance once a year. Maybe it's when you get that. Yeah. You send that back in, but as a general rule, I I don't use that. I think more and more people don't. I, I don't, I rarely send letters through the mail. Occasionally, a thank you note. Uh, occasionally, in the situation where somebody passes away, you know, I might want to write a personal letter of condolence or a note of condolence. But I, I don't. I don't use the mail anymore. And of course, you've got the competition that's going on, not just from the, the emails and things like that, but you've got like you know UPS and you've got all the different other delivery services, FedEx, that are out there. That, that are competing with the U.S. mail. So it, it's been a, a huge problem. Well here's the other problem that the Postal Service has had. They have had a requirement that was written into the law a number of years ago that they had to pre-fund all retiree health benefits um, which is something that almost I'm going to say almost no country company does. I, I'm not sure anybody does that. That is, you know, typically speaking, you know, if you look, for example, if you're eligible or might be eligible for a pension, what happens is there's rules as to what percentage of it has to be funded, but uh, 100 percent pre-fund a, a pension thing that that is just absolutely unheard of but that's been the requirement um, for the Postal Service so that's taken a lot of money and forced them to put it into the health benefits so anyhow there's legislation that passed the House and may pass the Senate as soon as today that would eliminate the requirement that the Postal Service prefund retiree health benefits and they say that would save about 27 billion over 10 years it would require postal workers to enroll in Medicare when they reach 65 years old, something that about 25% of the workers don't do, that would save them another $22.6 billion, although that's going to add a cost to Medicare. Um, it would also make permanent a six-day-a-week delivery, um, so that you know we would continue to get mail six days a week it would let the postal service be able to strike agreements with local governments to provide services like fishing hunting drivers licenses etc cetera, etc cetera. the bill will allow the postal service to invest in package sorting equipment to speed mail delivery and to again get more into the package business as fewer and fewer people you know use first class mail so it's a bill and it's bipartisan which isn't without its detractors but in general, it it will keep the Postal Service operating for the foreseeable future. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is great. I, I mean, I understand that there are people nowadays who view the US Postal Service as an anachronism. You don't need it in times of the internet. You've got the other private alternatives that are there. At the same time, I think there's a lot of people particularly maybe outside of urban areas who depend on the, the Postal Service to, you know, get their mail and to get their packages and things of the like, I think, I think the Postal Service in general does a good job, and I don't think we're ready to abandon it. 855 that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And if doing something like this helps keep the Postal Service viable for the next decade or two decades, I'm all in favor of it. 855-616-1620. All right. The U.S. Postal Service, is it worth saving? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. I mean, look, here's the problem. I I understand in in some respects, you know, first-class mail, is sort of like the brick-and-mortar store. See, there is a recurring theme to the program occasionally that, you know, more and more people, for example, like I was saying, go to Amazon and buy books. Well, you know, there's more and more people are, are using emails to send notes and things like that. But that doesn't mean that when it comes to the postal service, there's not still a demand for, again, the first-class mail service. I, I'll be honest with you, though. I don't see that growing in the future. If anything, I, I see it, you know, diminishing. But it doesn't mean there's not always going to be an interest Interest in it I think just like we have an interest in in maintaining the roadways or that there is an interest in mass transit that it doesn't always have to be a profit generator I think there's an interest in having again a, a, an effective mail system now does that mean that maybe you might have to wait an extra day for your packages to be delivered or for the letter to be delivered yeah I mean I think that's part of the reality and it's it's one of those deals that if you're ordering prescriptions through the mail for example you know maybe you have to start the process so you get it a day or two start the process a day or to earlier, but I think it's still a vital role to be filled, and in order to do that, you've got to take steps to shore up the finances, and that's what I think this bill does. 855-616-1620, Dennis in Milwaukee. Dennis, you're on WTMJ.
7: Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Like you, I'm a big fan of the U.S. Post Office, uh, but last week I had somebody suggest somewhat seriously that... They favor uh, just letting the U.S. Post Office go away and give the responsibility for delivering the mail to UPS and FedEx. And I had to point out to them that UPS and FedEx doesn't deliver first-class letters, nor do I think they want to. Plus, uh, UPS and FedEx aren't required to deliver to. To every single area of the country the u.s post office by law has to deliver to every area of the country even though some areas are very sparsely populated so um, like you i'm in favor of this bill
1: yeah no thanks for call dennis you know you're, you make a really interesting point the in in many more remote areas of the country the the whether it's FedEx or UPS or whatever they don't have what they call last mile delivery you know in other words that maybe they they'll they'll ship it to i don't know this the center of town but they're not going to come out to your house and in, in there's many situations where so they work in in conjunction with the postal service okay that the package gets this far and then it goes to the postal service and and they do that last mile delivery thing so i mean it's if the reality of this is that if you did not have the postal service, the free market would not come up it wouldn't make any sense financially for a UPS to you know deliver packages to some areas they, they just wouldn't do it because there wouldn't be enough packages to justify the cost so that 's why I think you need the, the postal service that that's there um let's see jeff if the postal service is so bad you know why are ups and fedex amazon and dhl all paying the post office to deliver their packages well i mean because it, it is an alternative yeah absolutely and again they go that that last mile that you that we we talk about jeff by all means i'm 76 i still use it a lot um i agree i also i enjoy your show i agree with you about 95 percent of the time Well, if we all agreed 100% of the time, life would be boring, wouldn't it? Um, Jeff, the Postal Service bill sounds like a great idea that should have been done years ago. I do think, however, six days a week daily mail delivery is a dinosaur strategy. I believe the Postal Service should deliver three times a week to most residential routes. That would be a dramatic cut in costs with slight decreases in service. Um, You know, that's a... That is an intriguing thing. When we have talked about it before, because I've been an advocate of that too. I mean, I I think you could, for most of us, you could do away with, say, Saturday mail delivery, um, and and not y- your life would not be materially changed at, at all um, if. And some people would call up and say, well, sometimes I get my check on Saturday. Well, a lot of times you get the mail in the afternoon. You're, you're not going to be able to get it into the bank anyway. So I, I think that I, I've always believed that you could probably do away with that. At the same time, a lot of really smart people say that that wouldn't really save you that much money because you, you, wouldn't, you, you wouldn't get rid of a sixth of the, the, the workforce. If if you did it that way, I mean they'd still be they'd they'd still be working and things like that. Plus, you'd make the delivery on on Mondays a lot more difficult. Just like when the postal service doesn't deliver because you've got. I don't, I don't know, a holiday. You know, they're not delivering on, on Christmas or whatever. That next day, you always get two days' worth of mail. Let's see, Jeff, I think the Postal Service needs to reinvent itself to more package delivery. Yeah, and, but that's exactly what they're doing, as a matter of fact. I think that's that's the goal, and one of the things that this bill is trying to do is encourage them and, and give them some of the wherewithal to, to kind of shift over into more of that package delivery sort of stuff recognizing that the growth is not going to be in the first-class mail, which isn't to say, and I guess this is the point I'm trying to make, it's not to say that you, we should just no longer have first-class mail because there's lots of people that depend on it, but it's not a growth area. Let, let's let, let's face it, because more and more people, I think, are going to end up doing exactly what I do, which is pay bills electronically and, and send emails when maybe you used to send a letter. Um, Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on WTMJ
6: yeah good afternoon uh, yeah that bill was written by you the uh, ups and fedex to fund the post office 76 years in advance with their health care and pensions and it was by design they wanted to the post office to fail so they could take over the profitable big city deliveries but still have the post office available for the expensive rural and distant deliveries So it's a manufactured crisis, and it was manufactured by, you know, probably the thing that's wrong with Congress and wrong with our government is big money being able to write bills.
1: Mm -hmm. Right, and so this kind of reverses that because now you're in a situation where they they, they still, it's, it's not like they're ignoring their retirement obligations, but they're allowed to do more along the lines of what I would guess that UPS does when it comes to financing, you know, their different retirement benefits and things. So thanks for the call. I appreciate you joining us. 855-616-1620. I I guess I I just, and I understand, I always try to be consistent when we talk about these things. And I'm the guy that was saying, you know, I just, I'm not sure what the future of bookstores is. They're kind of an anachronism. But in this particular case, I, I do think that there is a public interest in having a viable postal service that is there. And what we've been doing in the past hasn't really been—I I, think—it w- w- was financially unsustainable. This is a way of, of helping it do it. Now th- there are downsides. I want to present that? One of the things are you're now forcing the new postal employees—they're—they're they're, they're being forced onto Medicare, and that's going to put a strain on on Medicare moving forward. But that's a whole another story so i guess i'm not a big believer in kicking the can down the road but this is one where i think you know you you deal with the medicare situation separately and you make sure that you save the postal service all right when we come back let's find out what john mccure has on his mind on wisconsin's afternoon news